That's the water park. Tonight on Global News Hour, finding a way to keep cool during this weekend's heat wave. Plus. I feel here we have an entrenched and protected CEO. More on that damning audit of Atira and finally reaction from the social housing provider. And then. And how are we protecting uh, everyday Canadians? Those issues weigh heavily on me. Local MP Jenny Kwan's briefing from CSIS told she might be the target of foreign interference by the Chinese government. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. So many British Columbians are either soaking in this early heat wave that's now blanketing most of the province or trying to find relief from the soaring temperatures this weekend. As Julia Foy found out, many are taking in the opportunity to enjoy the summer weather as officials urge caution to stay safe. At this Abbotsford water park, people of all ages came to beat the heat, including the McFarland family. Dad, what's it like trying to keep these two little beans nice and cool? It's pretty hard, as you can tell. This guy wants to go be a free bird, but I have to hold him down right now. While parents and children make up most of the mix, some seniors drop by too. I'm a senior citizen, and the less heat I'm in, the better I feel. <laughs> Stay in the shade, right? Uh, get, drink lots of fluids, and enjoy yourself, go out to the spray park and have lots of fun. With the thermometer topping 27 degrees Celsius before noon, health experts say there is a serious threat to those who aren't keeping their cool. We know that people who are at high risk of heat-related illness don't always realize when their bodies are getting too hot or their space is getting too hot. And that's why I really encourage people to check on their friends and neighbors because just that's so important to keep them safe. This weekend will be the hottest of the year so far, even though it's only the middle of May. That means some people may be caught off guard, which could lead to life-threatening situation. Um, heat exhaustion, people might feel dizzy, might have nausea and vomiting, headache. They might start to sweat very profusely. Um, when it starts to turn into that heat stroke, people may have hot, dry skin. They may actually lose consciousness. If you see someone who looks like they're in distress and they may have signs of heat stroke, that's a medical emergency. At the Outdoor Safety and Emergency Preparedness Fair in North Vancouver Saturday, extreme heat was on their mind as well. We need to take this weather seriously. I take it seriously for the activities that I do. Uh, I'm always thinking, is this going to be an enjoyable, safe adventure? Uh, how will I do that um, effectively? And that all goes back to that planning before you even hit the trail. The temperature is expected to bump into the 30s on Sunday and Monday, so be sure to have a plan to chill. Is this your strategy over the next couple of days to stay cool? Probably, yeah. Probably maybe install the air conditioner and everything like that in the house too. I'm going to be back every single day. A great thing that Abbotsford has to offer is this. Well, I think it's awesome that uh, they've opened it up a little early this year for taking advantage of this heat wave. Yeah. <laughs> is the water warm coming out of those sprinklers or not so much? Nope. It's refreshing. Yeah, it's very refreshing. It's the right Perfect word. for the day. <laughs> Julia Foy, Global News. And a lot of people with the same idea to beat the heat this weekend by heading to the beach. Kitsilano Beach was among the many spots on the south coast packed with people this afternoon enjoying the unseasonably warm spring. It's really hot. It's pretty hot. We're glad that we brought umbrellas and refreshments, and there's probably about 5,000 people here. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot.
an evacuation alert has expanded in the BCP, says fires there continue to burn out of control. You can see that they're quite packed densely together, like all the branches lead to each other, so it just goes from one tree to the next tree quite quickly. Dense forests combined with dry weather are helping spread the flames. The Peace River Regional District expanded an evacuation alert area toward Charlie Lake and closer to Fort St. John. The Red Creek Fire is estimated at 1,300 hectares. Farther east, wildfire crews are planning to burn 250 hectares near the south flank of the Boundary Lake Fire. That fire has burned 6,100 hectares. Northeast BC for sure is going to see, you know, that increase in fire activity um, around the northern half of the province, the central interior. Things are still uh, fairly damp from the winter, so but this will dry things out. The regional district of North Okanagan is warning residents that BX Creek is running high and fast and could potentially spill over its banks. The RDNO has activated its emergency operations center due to possible flooding. Silver Star Mountain still has around 900 millimeters of snowpack remaining, and the next few days of above-average temperatures could bring it down quickly. The public is being asked to avoid BX Creek for at least the next week and be prepared for any emergency. The village of Cache Creek has issued a boil water advisory as crews work to repair the damage from spring flooding. The advisory is in effect until further notice. It comes as crews repair a water main that was damaged during this month's floods. Residents have to boil their water for at least a minute before drinking it or using it for food preparation. On top of that, water can only be used for essential needs, meaning no lawn watering or filling a pool. All right, well, record temperatures felt right across the province. And here's meteorologist Yvonne Schall with more on how long these record-breaking conditions will last. And Julie, here's just a sample of some of the numbers that we have seen so far with Squamish. Uh, 32.4, the old record set back in 2018. Pitt Meadows getting up to 31.5. Another hot spot with White Rock, West Van uh, tying an old record and Whistler getting up to 29.2. Special weather state will remain in effect and will likely be even hotter as we get in towards Sunday, Monday, early next week. It'll continue to track the heat for the interior. A few of the numbers, so it's really away from the water, will remain into the low 30s. By Tuesday, we'll likely see the peak of the heat for most areas along the coast, but it's inland for the interior that we may still continue to track two or three more hot days that'll take us into Wednesday, Thursday. One of the hottest areas will be for the Thompson and Nicola region, a few spots getting up to 36 degrees. And the temperature trend for Mother's Day tomorrow, it is going to be a scorch. I'll have more coming up very shortly. Julie? All right. Thanks, Yvonne. This weekend's temperature spike is leading to new reminders that if you're going out, don't leave your pet behind in a hot car. It just takes one animal um, left in a vehicle to cause an issue. Every year, the BC SPCA responds to a thousand calls about people leaving their pets in hot vehicles. The society says it doesn't take long for uncomfortable heat to become dangerous for pets in a closed vehicle. The risk is particularly high for senior pets and those with a flat face shape. We've had a few this year so far. Yeah, and um, already in you know middle of May to now, with the increase in temperature, we will get more. And it's just something that we need to educate and work on is, you know, try to prevent keeping that animal inside the vehicle.
The ultimate last step would be that either uh, one of our special provincial constables or police officer uh, breaks the window and retrieves the animal. It's something that we will have to do if we have to do for the safety of the animal, but of course it's something that we try to avoid. The B BCSPCA says the best option when the weather is hot is to leave your pet at home and make sure they have plenty of cool water. To northern Alberta now and the major wildfire fight there. Even though there were a few days of cooler, wetter weather, it's not enough to curb the dozens of active fires burning hundreds of thousands of square kilometers across the province. Alberta Wildfire says with the return of hot weather, fires will pick up, leaving people to brace once again for what's ahead. Nicole Stilger has more. Fox Creek residents have been out of their homes since last weekend, forced to flee the wildfire danger. Mayor Sheila Gilmore is in Whitecourt at the reception centre there for evacuees. Every given moment, you have no idea, and we're on day seven, so people are getting exhausted. Um, it's a long time to be out of your home and unsure when you do get to go back. Alerts and evacuation orders are expanding. Remaining residents in Fox Creek, Little Smoky and surrounding areas have been told to evacuate immediately. In an update on social media Saturday, the town of Fox Creek says the giant has awakened, but the fire's behavior is as expected. The fire, when it has grown, has still held that five kilometers north of our community. The return of hot, windy weather this weekend has many on edge. Nervous as what this heat's going to bring for the fire and if there's any different wind shifts and changes and what's going to happen. Members of the Canadian Armed Forces have been deployed to communities like Fox Creek and Grand Prairie, an area that's also watching for what issues the weather could bring. There are still lots of smolders and uh, areas that are unseen within the fire perimeter that may uh, rekindle or, or flare up with the hot, dry conditions. We will see increased fire activity throughout the province on all these wildfires, uh, but we are prepared for it. This aerial look shows some of the wildfire damage in the Grand Prairie area. At an unrelated event in Calgary Saturday morning, Premier Danielle Smith says the province approved a proposal to build an extensive fire guard for that city. The province says fire guards are in the works to protect Little Smoky and Fox Creek too. We're keeping our fingers crossed that the weather is with us through this weekend, that the, uh, the fire guards get built in time. Another uncertain few days ahead for firefighters and evacuees. Hopefully we'll go home soon. Nicole Stilger, Global News. Back in B.C., homicide investigators have arrested two people in connection with a March homicide in Maple Ridge. 33-year-old Kimberly Buttenwig and 44-year-old Joseph McWilliams have been charged with second-degree murder in the death of 55-year-old Jack Singh. On March 4th, Ridge Meadows RCMP responded to a call of a deceased male on 122nd Avenue near 218th Street. The death was deemed to be suspicious. The integrated homicide investigation team is now asking any one with recent contact with either suspect to contact them. An IHID has now identified the man found dead in a Surrey neighborhood Wednesday night. RCMP were called to an alley near 103A Avenue and Old Yale Road where they found the body of 49-year-old Sean Clark. He had been reported missing on May 1st, with police saying he was last seen April 18th in the 9900 block of 154th Street. IHIT says at this point, Clark's death does not appear to be connected to the B.C. gang conflict. 
For years, some BC families who've lost loved ones in wrongful deaths have been calling for change. They're demanding the provincial government alter the laws that prevent them from seeking accountability. As Paul Johnson reports, they're keeping up the pressure despite no sign that their pleas are being heard. Nothing quite gets your attention like bagpipes, which was precisely the point in Kitsilano Saturday, where participants in the Mothers for Justice Memorial Walk converged on Premier David Eby's constituency office. The Premier wasn't there, but a series of persuasive messages were left for him. Unfortunately, this is a situation that unless it happens to you, kind of goes over people, you know. Anne Forey is one of the organizers. Like many of those here, her inspiration was born from tragedy, losing her daughter in 2020 to what she says was medical negligence. For us three children that they left behind, our lives were completely shattered. Earlier, speakers recounted their stories of losing loved ones during medical procedures they say were so horrifically negligent that lawsuits would be reasonable and expected but aren't possible in B.C. currently because of a quirk in the law that they say doesn't allow for wrongful death cases where the deceased wasn't a breadwinner. They say it makes them feel like their loved ones had no value in the eyes of the law. My life partner of 24 years was killed in Cowichan District Hospital. It's the second year they've marched and the second time they've singled out E.B. Then because he was Attorney General, now because he's Premier. We reached out to the office of the current AG, Nikki Sharma, where staff there said the ministry is actually working to update the Family Compensation Act, though no time frame and no details were given. For Anne Forey and the other bereaved, it's not much solace. They say B.C. is alone right now among the provinces and having not updated the law. We're traumatized by the event and then you're doubly traumatized by no action and no justice. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Delta police are investigating a violent home invasion which sent two people to hospital. Police were called Friday for a welfare check at a home in Tawasson. They went to the 4300 block of Cormorant Drive. Once there, they found two people who were assaulted during a home invasion. Police believe the home was targeted and they're asking anyone with dash cam or CCTV footage from the area between Wednesday and Friday to contact them. Vancouver firefighters are investigating what sparked a large fire that broke out at the rear of a downtown hotel. Firefighters arrived around 5.30 this morning to find a fire in a dumpster that was shooting flames up the side of the Sandman Hotel in West Georgia. The building was damaged, but crews were able to quickly knock it down before it could spread. We upgraded to a second alarm momentarily just to get more manpower to rehab some of our crews because it was fairly labor intensive. Fortunately, uh, because of the quick knockdown, crew saved uh, a lot of work and a lot of damage to the building. So right now we're just still doing overhaul and making sure that it's out. There were no injuries reported. Firefighters were also busy this morning putting out a second alarm fire at a Vietnamese restaurant on Main and 32nd Avenue. The fire first started at the rear of the building at about 4.30 a.m. and quickly spread. Given the early hour, the restaurant was empty at the time, but it was heavily damaged and its roof collapsed. No word on the cause. 
Coming up on Global News Hour, another sign of just how bad the rental market is. What a new study is revealing about evictions in the province and what's happening to people when they try to find a new place. Plus, days after a scathing review and audit of their practices, a response from a tier. When we come back. The embattled Atira Women's Resource Society says it's forming a task force looking into its policies and practices. That's in the wake of a damning forensic audit released by the provincial government earlier this week that found mismanagement and conflict of interest at the social housing provider. But as Grace Key reports, one critic is skeptical, skeptical rather, about the impact of this latest review. Criticism is emerging after Atira Women's Resource Society announced it will be launching an independent review following a scathing report exposing conflict of interest violations. But the information is already in the investigation. I don't believe they need to do another investigation. We need action at this point. Atira, the largest social housing operator in BC, released a statement saying its board of directors has established a task force that will oversee a comprehensive third-party review of Atira's policies and practices practices, including how it makes decisions on real estate matters and deals with potential conflicts of interest. While having a third party conduct the review is obviously necessary in these circumstances, the trick is that those commissioning the review can dictate its scope and you can be strategic to ensure certain things are examined that maybe should be examined. That would be where the review could be co-opted to simply serve as a PR exercise and not be reflective of broader concerns regarding uh, Atira's management. Conflict of interest concerns involved Atira CEO Janice Abbott and her husband, then CEO of BC Housing, Shane Ramsey. He left BC Housing in August. A month later, he became Executive Vice President of Squamish Nation's Nitschke Development Corporation, responsible for development at the south end of the Broad Street Bridge. Less than a week after the forensic audit was released, Ramsey has resigned from that position. A brief statement reads, Mr. Ramsey is no longer with Nitschke. We wish him well in his future endeavors. Abbott remains the CEO of Atira. Atira has returned $1.9 million in surplus funds requested from BC Housing. Grace Key, Global News. A new report into evictions in B.C., billed as the first of its kind, paints yet another bleak picture of the rental market. And one of the most shocking findings is about people who end up homeless after being evicted. It was a really traumatizing experience. All of a sudden, within one day, we're out. Belongings put onto the driveway and no reason given by the landlord for being evicted from a rental in Surrey in January. Um, until now, I'm unable to find a permanent place to live. I found my stuff on the street. As a construction management student at BCIT, Nadim Saleh was lucky to find temporary housing at the school. Like an undetermined number of British Columbians who are renters, it's a tale that's becoming far too common. I think what's most upsetting to me is um, the fact that I think a lot of this could be prevented. In a first for the province, a study has been conducted on the nature of evictions as a mapping tool to shape future tenant legislation and protection. Because BC does not have a way to track evictions or even review if the landlord had a right to force a tenant out, this study recruited participants from all over BC. For a majority of evictions, there's just no contact with a government agency, and that means that we don't know about most evictions in B.C. More than one quarter of tenants end up homeless after eviction. Among people of colour who face eviction, it's 31 percent. 
34% of people with disabilities said they couldn't find a new home and hardest hit, 45% of Indigenous people said they hadn't found a new place to live. A lot of these evictions would be preventable if if we required evidence up front. And the cost is just so high for people when they get evicted. BC's housing minister won't say if the province would create a database or a review of all evictions, but... The changes we made now means a lot less run evictions, but we have more work to do, and that's what we'll be doing in the coming months. For Soleil, his temporary student housing runs out next month. As both disabled and an immigrant, he knows the hunt for housing won't be easy. The housing market is very hard. It's, uh, it's becoming more scarce and it's getting harder to get the place. And with rents on the rise, Saleh is hoping something will come together for his last year of studies. On the radar coming up on Global News Hour, how one Vancouver MP is dealing with the alert from CSIS that she's being monitored by the Chinese government. And an important health warning about a certain location of a popular fast food chain we come back. Canada's spy agency is notifying more MPs, alerting them that they have also been the targets of political interference from the Chinese government. And that includes Vancouver East MP Jenny Kwan. Krista Dow reports. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jenny Kwan. I'm the member of parliament for Vancouver East. There is little information about why she's on the Chinese government's radar, only that she's the focus. And the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, or CSIS, wants a word. I am on their radar, on the Chinese government's radar. Um, but exactly what that means, um, I don't know. NDP MP Jenny Kwan says the spy agency discussed limited details Tuesday under the direction from the PMO's office. According to Friday's report by the Globe and Mail, she's one of two MPs being contacted. The other former Conservative leader, Erin O'Toole. Given my outspokenness on a variety of the issues around human rights, around Uyghur uh, issues, around uh, Hong Kong, for example. Um, and so definitely uh, it appears that I'm a person of interest. This comes on the heels of the recent expulsion of a Chinese diplomat. A government source tells Global News Zhao Wei departed Canada on Friday. Wei is accused of targeting Conservative MP Michael Chong and his relatives in Hong Kong. The accusation stemmed from a newly surfaced CSIS report from 2021 that stated the intimidation campaign resulted from Chong's criticism of China's human rights record. This is a decision we took seriously, we took with careful consideration uh, in order to, uh, to do the right thing and uh, expel the, uh, the Chinese diplomat. The fact is we've become somewhat of a playground for foreign interference threat activity. Kwan doesn't have family in Hong Kong nor China. She wonders how much her activism played a role. And while she's concerned, she questions how many others were targeted. I'm very worried about people in the community who are not elected officials. What happens to them? Kwan is renewing her party's call for a public inquiry into alleged Chinese foreign interference. She says a more secure in-person briefing with CSIS is planned soon. Krista Dow, Global News. 
a major setback in the province's efforts to rebuild its population of the northern spotted owl. Three of the birds were released into the wild from a Langley breeding facility last summer, but the GPS transponders and remains of two of the birds were discovered at the Spuzzum First Nation Territory earlier this month. It's not known how they died, but potential causes include physical injury, predation, disease or starvation. And when I opened the email, it was uh, it was a tearjerker for sure. It was it set us back. We maybe we need to prepare the area better. You know, take take care of some of the predators that uh, they compete with for their food. You know, and uh, and just really uh, push back the logging, push back any exploration. The third spotted owl was found injured last October, but was treated and returned to the breeding facility. It has since recovered. Only one other spotted owl remains in the wild in B.C. The federal government and TransLink are investing tens of millions in maintenance for Metro Vancouver SkyTrain to eventually deal with a very noisy issue. The funding will replace the Expo Line's running rails and rail pads over the next four years. Much of the Expo Line track is original from 1986. Friday's announcement comes amid complaints by Burnaby residents about a screeching sound coming from the tracks. Officials say the replacement work will help minimize the noise coming from the Expo Line. Components get replaced, uh, and that can have an impact on uh, the noise that uh, we, we know residents here as part of the SkyTrain. Uh, I think we recognize that, you know, even as we're here experiencing today, you know, no train system is silent. Uh, it's, it's, it can be noisy at times. But, you know, our commitment at TransLink is absolutely to do what we can to reduce uh, that noise. The replacement project is part of TransLink's 2018 investment plan. In Health Matters Now, a warning if you ate at a specific Vancouver McDonald's in the past month. Coastal Health has issued notice that anyone who dined at the Low Heat and Boundary restaurant between April 19th and May 9th may have been exposed to hepatitis A. While the risk of transmission is said to be low, if you ate there during that time, you are being urged to monitor for symptoms. They include feeling tired, sick to your stomach, and pain on the right side of the belly where your liver is. In most cases, the infection goes away on its own, but in rare cases, it can be more serious. For anyone who may have been exposed, a free dose of Hep A vaccine is being made available at public health clinics and pharmacies. Coming up on the news hour, some welcome news for the Kitsilano showboat after a devastating fire weeks ago. Plus, highlights from the Tri Cities May Days Parade, one of the largest events in Metro Vancouver. And it was definitely the right weather for it. Stay with us. You're watching Global BC. Community volunteers came together this morning to help clean up Chinatown amid increased vandalism made worse by the pandemic. The Chinese Community Policing Center has been organizing and taking part in regular cleanups of the historic community since last month. Today, they partnered up with Youth with a Mission and the Vancouver International Volunteer Association to help revitalize the cherished neighborhood. Volunteers collected garbage, painted over unwanted graffiti, and businesses and storefronts are great. Just from our patrol volunteers and talking to some local merchants, uh, our work is being recognized along with the city's work and so we're really happy to report on that but of course there's still a long way to go and we really hope that throughout this time we can continue supporting our community the best way we can. 
Volunteers say the work they do in Chinatown is part of a long-term initiative. A long-standing summer tradition in Vancouver will go ahead after all, despite a major setback. The Kitsilano showboat was badly damaged in an April 22nd fire that's now being investigated as arson. The performances that have been taking place there since 1935 were at risk of being cancelled. But now the society says it's received word from the park board that the stage can be repaired in time for its 88th season, starting on June 19th. A GoFundMe so far has raised about 30000 of a $50,000 goal. Good news for them, Yvonne. And more weather good news for us, I'm sure. <laughs> for those who like the heat, right, Julie? Yes. It is a scorcher soaring this weekend. A great spot is to be by the water. Here's a shot of what it looks like out there. Temperatures are currently sitting at 21 degrees. We've got a few clouds in the mix. Hot spot, wanted to show you this is in BC and across the country with Lytton right now taking the hot spot at 33.9. Wanted to show you the Humidex values, so a few areas, especially away from the water, actually into the low 30s. We can see that extending in towards the Fraser Valley, inland across the island as well, and a few other spots and temperatures across the province with the interior getting up to that 30 degree mark and even hotter in the coming days. So that special weather statement remains in effect across the province. The Thompson as well as the Nicola region could see those temperatures getting up to 36 degrees and into the low 30s in the coming days. Hot weekend, a quick reminder, stay cool and hydrated, check in with others. Rivers will be flowing fast. The UV index will be very high so lather on that sunscreen and we'll be monitoring the air quality health index as well. We may have the potential for some local smoke creeping in across the region in the coming days. With the temperature soaring we're also seeing that snow melt. We are seeing still a flood warning that is near Cash Creek, Middle Fraser, Quinell as well as the Salmon River underneath the flood watch and those are the areas that may exceed Bankful. We have had rainfall along the northern half of the province through the day today. A break is on the way for tomorrow. Heat is on for both the central and southern half of the province and areas near the peace could see some local smoke across the region with highs up to 27. Even hotter in the coming days for the interior will likely hang on for both Tuesday, even leading in towards Wednesday, potentially Thursday, and areas along the island with inland areas getting up to 33 near Port Alberti. The Fraser Valley will see those temperatures into the low 30s. So it's our long-range forecast for Mother's Day tomorrow. Be prepared for the heat away from the water. 33 with that Humidex will be climbing up to around 36. We'll still see another hot day on Monday, so really the peak of the heat Sunday, Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday with a few clouds in the mix, but still sunny, very hot. Temperatures will be pushing closer to 30 degrees. Julie. All right, thank you, Yvonne. Port Coquitlam is marking 100 years of May Days with some family-friendly fun this weekend. Hundreds of residents and visitors took over downtown Port Coquitlam for the May Days Parade. The family of Terry Fox, a Port Coquitlam hometown hero, led the parade as their grand marshals. The event was free and included carnival rides, a beer garden, food trucks and concerts. It's hard to put into words. It just fills me with so much pride. I've lived in Port Coquitlam my entire life. I remember May Day. I mean, that was a big event when I was a little guy growing up. And now to see our community come together and so many young families and Port Coquitlam has become such a destination for young families. And I see that and feel it. You know, it's a pretty special feeling. For the community of Port Coquitlam, this tradition started back in 1923.
Squires here with some uh, look at sports coming up and uh, you were rocking out to the uh, bagpipes there. Well, I don't know if I was rocking out to bagpipes. <laughs> can you actually rock out to bagpipes? I think you there's can. There's a few songs that bagpipes have been in. I think there's actually an ACDC song that there uses is. bagpipes. Yes, yes, there is. There is. So you can rock out to that. Uh, anyway, yeah, what's coming up in sports, you're probably wondering. Uh, Whitecaps are playing tonight against Portland, so we'll talk about that. Oh, and we'll also talk about how the Whitecaps have been developing a lot of young players, and we've been seeing those players play on the main team. So that's sort of the story we're going to tell you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank yes. you, Squire. Well, still to come on Global News Hour. Let's save that from the landfill. What else can we be doing to save electronics from being thrown away? Stay with us. From all the teams that come to play, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Vancouver-based nonprofit that helps new parents says inflation has them struggling to keep up with demand for help. Megan Newfeld says of Baby Go Round says right now there are a growing number of parents who struggle to provide essential gear for their infants. She expects to be helping up to 2,000 clients by the end of the year, up from the current 1,300. Jamie Stokes was one of those clients and says so-called baby inflation is increasingly hard on new parents. We have families that are in need for their own, you know, own issues that have come up. Um, and then we've got now this new layer of, of challenge in just keeping up and, and surviving. So, um, again, I think without, without organizations like Baby Go Around, I don't honestly know what people would do. And they typically, in my experience, end up having to sacrifice essentials either for themselves or their family at large in order to provide. Stokes is encouraging anyone who has gently used baby gear to donate to organizations like Baby Go Round as parents need help throughout the year. A new study found that Canadians threw out nearly 1 million tons of electronics in 2020 alone, and that number is expected to grow. But there's also a movement underway to fix this problem. This week on The New Reality, Krista Hesse talks to people fighting for our right to repair devices that we already own. The warehouse for the Electronic Recycling Association in Toronto is always full. This fullness happens every day. We can't uh, get rid of it. A lot of these old devices still work. Newer models will be repaired at the nonprofit's Calgary headquarters. The rest will be recycled. But it's becoming clear the recycling industry cannot keep pace with the world's appetite for electronics. Experts say it's time we start paying more attention to the other R's, reduce, reuse and repair. We need to get back to where service and repair is a cornerstone of our local economies. Kyle Weens is one of the leaders of the right to repair movement, fighting to make it easier and cheaper for consumers to fix all their devices. Repair should be easier than going and buying a new thing. But that's not the case today. Product manufacturers withhold information and parts from consumers and independent repair shops. That's fueling our throwaway culture. And it's the process of making all this new tech that causes the most pollution and waste. No amount of post-consumer recycling is ever going to recoup 
the amount of pollution and waste that happened before you even purchased your device. Cleaning up that will require systemic change at the supply chain level. But it helps, too, if we hold on to our things a little longer. Krista Hesse, Global News. To learn more about the movement fighting to fix all our stuff, tune into the new reality tonight at 7 on Global. On the way on Global News Hour, making the investment. How the white caps are cultivating talent and could it pay off for the team? Sports is up next. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Get immersed in the world of dinosaurs at Jurassic Quest. Enjoy an interactive adventure and observe a herd of life-size animatronic dinosaurs. See a live raptor show, rides, inflatables, and more. JurassicQuest.ca for info. Help Covenant House Vancouver this spring. With your help, they can continue to serve all youth with relentless support, respect, and unconditional love who may be at risk or experiencing homelessness. Donate today and double your impact. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub. Bringing your worlds together. Squire. Ah, there we are. Yeah, here we are. Squire's back, and uh, it's Long Way to the Top by ACDC. That's if you want to rock and roll. Yeah. When if Bon Scott was the singer, the yes. late Bon Scott, yes, see? Yes, indeed. We know things. Uh, all right. The Vancouver Whitecaps uh, brought in Sergio Cordova to score the bulk of their goals this year, but he hasn't scored one yet. So he will get a chance, though, tonight to get his first goal for Vancouver, who are down in Portland. Now, Cordova will be the main striker because Brian White is hurt. He's not able to play in this game. But Cordova will likely not be able to play the whole game, maybe just one half. He's still not fully fit after suffering a ham injury right there when uh, Vancouver took on the Galaxy on March 18th. The Whitecaps are unbeaten in their last eight MLS games. Now, we have been talking this season about some of the young players who've been helping the Whitecaps' main squad, players they either drafted or have brought up through their system. Now, if you aren't going to go out and spend big money on a designated player, which Vancouver doesn't like to do, building your own starters through training them from a young age is the best way to compensate. Just steps from the Whitecaps' first-team training session at UBC, Ricardo Clark is leading the WFC2 side, preparing the next potential call-up. Levante Johnson made the most of his opportunity, coming off the bench to score against York in the Canadian Championship quarterfinal on Wednesday. Tries to go around the corner, Johnson! Seeing that, I think for me personally, it's inspiring. And for the other guys as well, I train with them, I see that, they're like, well, it's, it's possible. Seeing is believing, and that's part of the recipe for success in the Whitecaps development structure. To prove to our young prospects, to prove to the players that are in the development pyramid, that they get a chance. The connection between teams within the Whitecaps organization is something Coach Vanny Sartini worked on when he was given the role of Director of Methodology at the end of 2020 before taking over as interim coach in 2021. I sat down and we created this methodology that relied a lot on uh, putting the tactics first. The attention to detail is carried from the youth teams and the League 1 BC side to WFC 2 and the first team. 
but each team has the freedom to play their own style and formation. I actually don't like the club where you have to play with the same system, with the same way from the first team to the U15, because the U15, when we'll be in the first team, we'll probably play a different system, there will be a different coach and soccer will be different. Gloria Amanda first joined the Whitecaps as a 15-year-old before enjoying a college career at Oregon State where he earned the Mac Herman Trophy as the top NCAA player in 2020. After a brief stint in Austria, he's back with the Whitecaps and sees the benefits to the current setup. And now, like when we train, we, we train at the same time. When we're, we're finished early, we get the chance to see the first team train. We're seeing the little details that, that they bring on every day and players were inspired by that. So last year was honestly my first year with any professional minutes. So uh, instead of just jumping straight to MLS, you know, I was able to slowly build uh, uh, some momentum, you know, train with the first team and playing an MLS Next Pro. Last season, the Whitecaps led the league in short-term call-ups, and they just might do it again, especially if the prospects keep producing. At the end of the day, it's football. When you get those opportunities, <laughs> as a player, you're happy, obviously. You're willing, you want to, you want to, prove yourself that you can do it so it's exciting all right they're all fired up down in seattle at climate pledge it's the crack and it's the stars seattle needs to win to force a game seven yanny gord has the puck and he scores in his own rebound to give seattle a one nothing lead dallas would tie it one one but on a power play jordan eberly Gives Seattle back the lead before the end of the first period, gets the rebound, and just calmly slots that in. Now it's 2-1. To the second period, Ellie Tolvanen, 3-1 for Seattle. And then Ty Karche, as the puck is given away in the neutral zone, and Seattle goes up by three goals. Nice shot. Oh, let's see that again. Big bend in the stick, and it's just ended. Seattle 6, Dallas 3, Game 7, Monday. Last night, the Fred Page Cup final began game one. Penticton hosting Alberni Valley. 1-0 for Penticton right now. Nicholas Beneteau would tie it 1-1 for the Bulldogs, but good second period for Penticton, which is heavily favored to win this series. Mason Poolman will make it 3-1. Nice shot off the right boards. And then what proved to be the winning goal was scored by Thomas Pachette. When Penticton scores, they like to turn out the lights. Oh, well, they did, believe me. 4-3 the final for Penticton. Barry delays at this game. That's why he's not here. He takes a trip to Toronto to watch the Blue Jays. That's a nice double steal in the seventh inning. And then Bo Bichette follows that by driving in Kevin Kiermeyer to make it 3-2 in the seventh. And the Jays beat Atlanta by the score of 5-2. Yes. Barry goes a long way to watch his favorite baseball team. There you go. Well, they're worth it. Thanks so much, Squire. You're welcome. Well, straight ahead, we'll meet the members of a women's lacrosse team that's getting ready for the North American Indigenous Games this summer. Stay with us. From tax season tips to everyday savings tricks, if it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrewa. Consumer Matters with Andrewa on Global News. From the stories breaking right now to all the day's issues. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Well, athletes are gearing up for the 2023 North American Indigenous Games. BC, One, two, three, BC! 
members of the under 18 women's box lacrosse team are being put through their paces in Coquitlam. It's the only training camp in the Lower Mainland ahead of the 10th North American Indigenous Games in July. These athletes are a handful of the more than 5,000 athletes, coaches and training staff at the Games, which bring together more than 750 Indigenous nations to celebrate and reconnect through sport. It's like a medicine game, so it's like really healing and like it helps me when I'm not doing the greatest and like dealing with a lot of stuff. It just helps me like escape from reality and clear my mind and get back to who I am. And I think people think that they're going to a, you know, a, a sporting event, right? And you get there and it's so not that. It is absolutely about the reclamation of our culture and, it, and to have our girls experience that, like, like I said, such an honor. The Indigenous Games are set for Halifax from July 15th to the 23rd. Well, let's uh, take one last look at the weather. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I don't have air conditioning at home, but I think that's a lot of people, right? That's a lot of people. So you got to find ways to stay cool, get those fans going. Uh, temperatures are going to soar. Really, the peak of the heat in the hottest days for tomorrow, Mother's Day, and leading in towards our Monday. That temperature away from the water. So you see 33 when you factor in a humidex, so it'll feel closer to 36 degrees. So be prepared for the heat. Stay hydrated. Grab the sunscreen. The UV index will be sitting at very high. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday starts to moderate, but we're still above the average for this time of the year. Um, last year at this time, we we're sitting at 14, 15 degrees, just a comparison there. But uh, for tomorrow, Mother's Day, it's going to be a hot one, up to 33. Oof, okay. Well, we're, we've been warned. All right, <laughs> thanks so much. Well, thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you again at 11. Have a good night. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.